Good morning and welcome to Beacon Church's Sunday morning message. So pleased uh, you're here with us. I'm glad you could join us. If this is your first time, you're more than welcome. Uh, pleased you found us online. We pray you'll be richly blessed as a result. In just a few minutes, uh, John Way will be speaking on the continued part of our March prayer month we're pressing into together as a church community, uh, focusing, as we've done a few years running now, just to press in and focus on certain things in prayer that we are asking for God's um, intervention and breakthrough in. And looking back, just the past week, we've been focusing on church and family and praying for one another. I've been praying for all of you by name, going through my list, seeking God's blessing and breakthrough for every single one of you. And I'm going to keep doing that as well. Um, long may that continue amongst us, but this week our focus is just shifting now to praying for our nation, praying for the United Kingdom, which God has placed us as his people, a nation in a nation, as John will be explaining in a mo. Um, let's have high expectations for what God can do. Um, we, as I'm recording this, this is an extremely windy day today. I, I've lost my hair. It's all gone. Um, the word that is used in the Bible for Holy Spirit, for it, Holy Spirit is God himself. And the word that is used uh, in the original Hebrew and in the original Greek, it means breath or wind. Holy Spirit blows where he wills for transformation and rescue. And my prayer is that Holy Spirit may blow across our nation for to turn our nation upside down for, for Jesus and for his glory, for his fame and for the, for the saving of souls. But Lord, may that ever be our prayer. And let's really press into that this week. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for those in government. And John is going to help us in just a moment to know how better to fix our eyes on such a thing. So I'm just going to pray for us and then I'm going to hand over to John. Father, we thank you that you tell us to pray, that you ask us to pray, you expect us to pray uh, as an act of partnering with you in seeking injustices being righted uh, and in, in truth being made known and uh, light overcoming darkness. You ask us to partner with you with, with, by rolling up our sleeves and getting involved and also by prayer and seeking your face and your will be done here on earth. Lord, we give ourselves over to you again today and as we hear from what, what you've put on John's heart for us through your words. Will you speak to us? Will you challenge us, stir us, provoke us, that we might press into this more to seek more of your face, to seek more of your intervention for your glory and your glory alone. Help us to have open hearts, listening ears and responsive hands and feet. We, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And over to John. Hello, everyone. Yes, we're in our special month of prayer and last week Steve reminded us that prayer is more about who we are than about what we do and because God is a God of justice when we pray in the Lord's Prayer your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we are praying for justice so let this undergird all that we are considering today if you didn't hear Steve last week do get hold of the video very very helpful Praying for our nation, had, or praying for the nation, has often come into focus in times of national crisis, and World War II comes readily to mind. There were seven separate days of prayer called by King and Parliament in the six years of war. Three were held within the first 12 months because the situation was known to be so desperate. In gratitude for deliverance, after the war, the government passed a law making Christian teaching in schools compulsory. 
So through prayer, good came out of evil. The subject has come up again, of course, as we are in the midst of a pandemic, far more devastating than we could have ever imagined. But now, compared with wartime, we are a very different country. Increasingly, we are becoming multicultural and secular. Sadly, this time, the government is unlikely to call the nation to prayer and it's left to churches to take the lead. Not just because it seems to be a good thing to do, but because God requires it. And not just in times of crisis, but in response to the day-to-day -day needs of the governing of our nation. There's not much in the New Testament on the subject, but fortunately we have Paul's clear instruction to Timothy, who had been left in charge of the church at Ephesus. And it's not a call to the nation to pray, but to Christians. So 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Before we look at this passage, I want us to first of all consider what is our relationship as Christians to the state? And secondly, why God wants us to pray. Some of us can remember when the laws of this country and the understanding of what is right and wrong were broadly in line with the Bible. Alarmingly, this parity has been much eroded in recent years. Although we were once considered a Christian country because of the predominance of the Christian faith, and the monarch's relationship to the Church of England, we have never actually ever been a theocracy, that is, a people governed by God through a priestly order, as Israel was all those years ago. We have only ever been Christianized. Now this has been good for us as Christians because it's given us the freedom to practice our faith without hindrance and to seek to influence government and other institutions to follow the Creator's laws because they're good for mankind, irrespective of religious considerations. Even though there is much in our society that has been influenced by Christian values, and as much as Christians have held back the tide of evil by being salt and light in our nation, it is characterised by darkness, as are all worldly systems, and described in the Bible as part of Satan's domain. The darkness refers to the ungodliness, rebellion and blindness of mankind, which is true of the nicest of people, and only through the gospel can blind eyes be opened to see the glory of Christ and be delivered from the darkness. Christians are those who have been called out of darkness and delivered from its dominion. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We are part of a nation within a nation, a people called out of the world into the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. We have a new citizenship in the kingdom of God which takes preeminence over the earthly citizenship, not least for the reason that he is eternal. Paul tells the Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Although we are now citizens of the kingdom of God, we haven't left the United Kingdom and that's God's plan. In that wonderful prayer of Jesus as recorded in John 17, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Because God has chosen not to take us out of the world, we have now have dual citizenship. We are citizens of the United Kingdom and we are citizens of heaven. And even though this world is characterised by darkness, God still rules his creation. And his creation is one of order, not disorder. And he has ordained that this order should be expressed through earthly government. Paul says in Romans 13, 1 and 2, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And then in verse 5 he says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. In other words, we don't obey the laws of the land primarily to avoid punishment, but to keep a clear conscience before God. Now, Paul did not describe any particular form of government as God's choice. And of course, at the time when he was writing, he was living under the rule of the Roman Empire, which we know was a repressive regime. Nevertheless, it had brought peace to the region known as the Pax Romana, it had accomplished one of God's purposes through government. So Paul is expressing a universal principle, whatever the government is like. We trust that our government is more just and compassionate than that of Rome in, in Paul's day, but it's not perfect and we may strongly disagree with the way they're governing. But we need to have this issue settled in our hearts, that they are God's servants, appointed by him as part of his rule of this world, if we don't, if there is rebellion in our hearts, then I believe it may hinder our prayers. So that is the first principle. When we pray for our nation, we do so in submission to earthly authority. The second principle is that by praying for our nation, we are joining with God in his rule of this world. We are cooperating with him in bringing about the justice he so desires. Paul Bilheimer in his book Destined for the Throne, makes the case that the church, the bride of Christ, is destined, destined to be Christ's eternal companion and will rule and reign with him over the created order. He quotes a number of scriptures in support of this, one being from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Bilheimer suggests that God has designed prayer as an apprenticeship for eternal sovereignty with Christ. He calls it on-the-job training or training for reigning. Jesus has given authority to his followers over human affairs through prayer. Therefore, prayer should be the main business of the church. This is why John Wesley, the famous 18th century preacher, said, God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. I'm not sure that such limitation on God's activity can be supported from Scripture, but it does emphasise the importance of prayer and how God may choose to use our prayers to accomplish his purpose. E.M. Bounds, famous for writing nine books on prayer, said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. The mightier the forces against evil. This is never more true than when we are praying for our nation. If you follow the news, and I guess that many of us are at the moment with such fast-moving events across our nation, with almost daily new instructions on how to beat COVID-19, you will be aware that our government comes in for a lot of criticism and sometimes it gets personal. It seems that no matter what they do, for some, it's always too little, too late. As I said earlier, they're not perfect, but we are to be of a different spirit from what we often see and hear in our nation. It's not that we ignore issues of injustice or a lack of compassion. It may be right to make representation to the government and protest on occasions and even disobey when we are called to conform to what God forbids. But it's to be in the spirit of respect and submission, seeing them as God's servants. Let's um, turn to that first scripture now from 1 Timothy 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's a question. As UK citizens, what are our responsibilities as Christians? Well, yes, we obey the law. Yes, we contribute to the well-being of our communities. Yes, we pay our taxes. Yes, we participate in the democratic appointment of officials and so on. But where do we start? Paul says, most importantly, and what we do first, is to pray. Because in so doing, we are acknowledging our other citizenship that of, of the kingdom of God and our role as representatives of that kingdom, that through us, as it was for Jesus, the powers of the age to come break into this world, this age, and it is through prayer. So he says, first of all, then I urge, Paul sees prayer for all human affairs and particularly for those in authority as of first importance so important that he urges the Christians. This is a, such a strong statement, it's almost a command. Therefore, we should make sure 
we seek the application of this for ourselves. He then goes on that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. Notes in my study Bible and the commentary I have on Paul's letters to Timothy both suggest that Paul is referring to public prayers, which may surprise us because we may firstly see prayer as a personal thing. And in our tradition, where we have a freer kind of corporate worship, where individual participation is encouraged, we don't often engage in the form of public prayers in the way that other Christian churches do, particularly in prayers for the nation. However, it has occurred to me that publicly praying for our nation and for those in authority provides a collective opportunity to reinforce a right attitude towards those in government when public cynicism and mistrust of the government may be the order of the day. Paul is in effect saying, use all types of prayer you can, all types of prayer you can muster and make sure they are liberally sprinkled with thanksgiving, which accords with his exhortation in Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known unto God. When people hear our prayers, they should know that we are, above all else, a thankful people. We already do this, I think. When we come together to pray, we usually start with thanksgiving, don't we? Thanksgiving reinforces our faith in God, especially when we're facing difficulties. Thanksgiving and praise put God in his rightful place in our thinking, high and lifted up with all authority. And at this time, although we're facing extreme challenges in our nation, there is much to give thanks for. For example, the magnificent skill and dedication of our NHS staff and the speedy rollout of a vaccine programme and the way that the, that communities have come together in exceptional ways. I'm sure that that uh, many Christians along with us have been praying for the, for the excess and accelerated production of a vaccine. Who knows if the amazing availability of a number of vaccines now, not just one, far ahead of any previous schedule has not been hastened by our prayers. In addition to thanksgiving, we may seem to have three types of prayer here, supplications, prayers and intercessions. Since prayers is a general description, we'll just concentrate on the other two. So then supplications or requests, they relate to what is lacking and what we intensely ask for. We are encouraged to ask for what we need. Jesus repeatedly made this point that God the Father is not reluctant. In fact, he is eager to answer prayers that align with his will, because in so doing, we are cooperating with him in the work that he is doing in the world. In John 14, verse 13, what you are, whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then uh, in John's first epistle, chapter 5, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
At this time, we are rejoicing in the provision of a vaccine for the healing of our nation. I believe that healing, all healing, whether it's natural or supernatural, that is anything that reverses the curse on mankind, which is the result of the fall, which includes the eradication of harmful viruses, is God's will. So it was right as we prayed for our nation that we asked for an effective vaccine and God heard us. Then we have intercessions. Um, intercessions are a particular type of prayers where we intervene on behalf of others. We do our best to understand their needs and what they may be experiencing and plead their case as if it was our own. The writer to the Hebrews says, remember those who are in prison as those in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. That's Hebrews 13, 3. Now, I don't think the writer was saying just bring them to mind, but to pray for them, intercede for them as if you were in prison with them. This kind of prayer is appropriate, of course, for the estimated 340 million of our Christian brothers and sisters who are facing persecution around the world. But for our nation, who is it that are suffering at the moment? Who are facing immense pressures? Well, many people, of course, but I think, as we often do, uh, we deliberately target intercession for NHS staff, and that's very appropriate at this time. As we pray, we do our best to imagine the strain and the stress that they are under. Paul says that all these types of prayer are to be made for all people. He is, of course, not saying that we have to pray for everyone in the world, but that all categories of people are worthy of our prayers. All groups of people, all individuals whose needs come to our attention, they should not be outside the reach of our prayers. Then Paul becomes more specific. He says, for kings and all who are in high positions. So as we recognise that those in authority over us, whether national or local government, are appointed by God, we agree that they are worthy of particular attention as we pray for our nation. And as good Democrats, uh, we accept the will of the people through the ballot box we also accept God's overriding providence in the government that is elected. If we are to take praying for our nation seriously, then it behoves us to be as specific as we can when praying for our leaders. It's too easy, I think, and vague to say, Lord, we pray for our government without saying what we're praying for, or Lord, bless our government and leave it at that. I think we should try to understand the needs of individuals, what they are facing, what decisions they are grappling with. We know that there are key people in the government who right now are carrying a massive weight of responsibility. Who would choose that? I wouldn't. We are fortunate that we can keep up to date with the news and although not all of it is edifying, we can use it as a source of information to fuel our prayers. Now we need to draw to a close. I deliberately haven't given you a whole list of different topics that we can pray uh, in, in order to pray for our nation. Um, I, I think it'd be good if we kind of revisit that 
in our growth groups and, and see how we apply these principles to different situations. But just to sum up then, when we come to pray for our nation, let us make sure our attitude is right towards those in authority. Then understand the immense privilege and responsibility we have as we cooperate with God in his rule of this world, believing that our prayers make a difference. Always include thanksgiving. Be bold in asking God for what we believe our nation needs. Make the effort to be informed about the needs of those who bear responsibility as we intercede for them. And we do, or why do we do all this? Well, Paul says, it's good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray for our nation because it helps create an environment where the gospel may be freely preached and people are saved. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we often struggle with prayer, but we see in your word that you have ordained it, that we may have the immense privilege of joining with you in your rule of this world. Help us to be faithful in praying for our nation and those in authority, that we may see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. And yes, indeed, with that humble, honouring attitude and from a place of thanksgiving, let's just be praying boldly for his kingdom come, his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That needs to be our, our heart's cry. May Holy Spirit blow across this nation and bring great radical transformation for his glory. Uh, as John suggested, we can discuss in our small groups during this week how, how we can um, enable ourselves and, and encourage one another to keep pressing into this and, and specifics of how to pray for those in government and local authority and so on and so forth. Uh, there'll be some more in our midweek update email that's coming through this week uh, on Wednesday morning. Um, in the meantime, let's just be praying. Let's seek his face. Let's have high expectations um, to help us worship on the back of this as well. Um, there's a couple of song links on the specific Vimeo page and the details there. And please do get in touch. If you have any questions about anything you've heard today, any questions at all, please do get in touch. We'd love to get to know you if we don't already. We'd love to help work, walk through some questions with you. Uh, while we don't have all the answers, we know he does. Let's find out together if we, if we can't answer you immediately. Let's work it out. Any question. There is no such thing as a stupid question. And uh, please do get in touch. We'd love to speak with you. We'd love to pray with you as well. Be blessed. Have a great week.